Well, I don't have to tell you, today is Easter Sunday. It is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I know there are a lot of other things kind of added to Easter, you know, like the Easter basket, Easter eggs, Easter bunny, Easter clothes. Just like Christmas, we've kind of uh, packed on some things that tend to dilute the real meaning of the day. But let's not forget, folks, this is Resurrection Day. This is the day we celebrate the fact that Jesus lives. You know, our day of skepticism and secularism, the fact of the resurrection is doubted by more and more people. Many of the miracles in the Bible are disregarded today as mythical fairy tales or as events that have no factual historical basis. Even even people at the church, some quarters of the church, deny the reality of the miracle that we find recorded in the Bible. And people like us, and I include you with me here this morning, you're just going to be guilty by association. But people like us who believe the Bible to be true, who believe that God created all things out of nothing, by the word of his power, who parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could pass through on dry ground, who believe the sun stood still, who believe a great fish swallowed himself. And he lived in that fish for three days. Who believe Jesus was born of a virgin who believed that Jesus calmed the storm and walked on water and yes who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead or sometimes considered a rabid fundamental who have our heads hidden deep in the sand and deny historical facts or reality. The truth is, resurrection is not for this book. It's not right. You and I have no hope. If Jesus still in the, is dead and, and still in the grave, if what the Bible says about the miracle of the resurrection and all the other miracles, and oh, by the way, if you don't believe one, how do you believe any? the resurrection is not true, then you and I have no hope of salvation. You hear that? You have no hope of salvation. The Bible says that if indeed Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sin. No, it says more than that. It says that if Christ has not been raised, you and I are the biggest of all fools. You get that? If Christ has not been raised, you and I believe in something and have committed our lives to something that is not true. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that if Christ has not been raised, we are not a people to be praised. But rather, we're a people to be pitied. Pity. Exact word the Bible used. We are to be pitied. But we know better, don't we? 
And we know better because God has opened our eyes to see the truth and opened our hearts to believe and to know the reality of His Word. We are here this morning to celebrate the greatest, most profound, most significant event in human history. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Now I'm going to focus this morning on one man's relationship to that event. For those who are visiting here this morning, I've been preaching a series of sermons on encounters that Peter had with Jesus. And this morning we're going to be looking at Peter's encounter with the resurrection or with the risen Christ. And so I'm going to look at the resurrection from kind of Peter's perspective this morning. There's no evidence that that Peter was at the cross or that Peter witnessed the crucifixion. The last time we see Peter before Jesus went to the cross was when he was in the courtyard of uh, the high priest weeping uncontrollably because he realized that he had denied his Lord. While Jesus was on the inside being interrogated and mistreated, Peter was on the outside denying not once, not twice, but three times his association with Jesus, even denying that he knew Jesus. And you know what happened after the third time, just like Jesus said, the rooster crowed. And Peter looked up through the window and he made eye contact with Jesus. And he was a broken man. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. He wept uncontrollably because he had denied his Lord. Now we're not sure where Peter went after that. Apparently he and the other disciples were in seclusion somewhere. As I said last week, it appears John, the Apostle John, is the only one of the twelve who was present at the cross and witnessed Jesus' death. Well, after Jesus had been declared dead on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea asked for permission to take his body and to give it a proper burial. Late on Friday by now, the Sabbath started in just a few hours, and so there was little time for any real preparation of the body. That would have to wait until Sunday, the day after the Sabbath was over. And some of the women, take note, it was some of the women who loved Jesus and who followed Jesus, who had committed their lives to Jesus, followed Joseph to see where he was going to lay Jesus' body. Because they wanted to come back after the Sabbath is over to give his body that proper preparation that was required in those days for a proper burial. And so they noticed where the tomb was, where, where Joseph put the body, and they also noticed that he rolled a, a large stone over the opening to the tomb. It was like a cave. So no one could get to it. And in the meantime, Roman authorities posted a military guard there at the tomb. Well, early on the third day, that would have been early on Sunday morning, the earliest she could, Mary Magdalene made her way back to the tomb, along with some of the other women followers of Jesus. 
Again, they wanted to make sure that Jesus' body had the proper preparations for burial, so they took the spices and oils that were required to do that. What they didn't know was how they would move that large stone they saw Joseph and I'm sure the men who were with him rolled in front of the, the tomb. And I'm, I'm supposing they decided they'd just figure that out when they got there. Well, they didn't have to worry about that. As you know, when they got there, the stone had already been rolled away. Something very dramatic had happened during the night. Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead with such great power that an earthquake took place. An angel of the Lord had descended and had rolled the stone already away from the opening to the tomb. And now I want you to understand, he didn't roll the stone away so Jesus could get out. He rolled away the stone so people could see that Jesus had gotten out. And in the midst of all this, those Roman soldiers just fainted. Fainted away. And it was into that rather eerie situation, these women. As the sun was still rising, it was into that eerie situation these women walked. It was nothing like what they had expected. Now it appears that Mary Magdalene may have run ahead of the others, gotten there first. We're not exactly sure, but what we do notice in the text from John is that John focuses upon Mary Magdalene's involvement with the resurrection. The text tells us in verse 2, So she, that is Mary, ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That other disciple whom Jesus loved is John. John never uses his own name in his gospel. She went to Peter and John to tell them that Jesus' body was missing. Well, why them? There was a reason for that. Mark tells us that the angel told Mary, Go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter is the only one of the twelve mentioned by name. Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter knew that he was risen. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Well, why Peter? Why of all the twelve did the angel specify Peter? You understand. It's because that was the first step in, in, in Peter's being restored to Jesus. Peter wanted, or Jesus wanted Peter to understand that just because he had denied him three times did not mean that he did not love him anymore. Or he did not own him anymore. Or Peter did not belong to him anymore. Jesus wanted Peter to be the, the, to be the first one to hear the good news of the message of his resurrection. And so the angel told Mary, you go find his disciples and you find Peter. And you tell them what you see. Now Mary must have known where some of the disciples were staying because we find in the text she went immediately to where Peter and John were. 
to give them the news. Now it's hard to imagine, isn't it, exactly what's going on in the minds of those who knew Jesus, who loved Jesus, who had committed their lives to Jesus, who had gone these, through these, these traumatic days with Jesus. Or hard to understand exactly what they were thinking or what their, was going through their minds. It's clear, however, that they were uncertain. Even when they heard what Mary said, Look at verse 2. Mary was uncertain. She, this is what she told them in verse 2. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. If you keep your finger in John, give your Bibles and flip over to Luke chapter 24. It wasn't just Mary that had a hard time understanding. And again, sometimes we just have to put ourselves back in the place of, of the event. We have know 2,000 years of history of believers assimilating the truth of the resurrection this is brand new news to the disciples Luke 24 and verse 11 says these words appear to them that is to the apostle appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them Peter was one who ran quickly to the tomb. Just check it out for himself. That's what you expect from Peter, isn't it? Impetuous Peter. Peter who did things on the spur of the moment, on impulse. First thing Peter did was run to the tomb. And John, clear in the text, ran with him. Verse 3 says, or verse 4 says, they were the two were running together. Running to see the empty tomb. Now, the text also tells us that John was faster than Peter. He got there first. He's in the same eerie situation that the women had found earlier that morning. And he sees the tomb open just like Mary had said. And John, you know, John was a little reserved, a little shy. Clear in the Bible he was. But Jesus loved him. We think of the Last Supper. John's the one who had his head laid on Jesus' chest. So John comes up to the edge of the tomb and he looks in and he sees the, the linen cloths in which the body had been wrapped. The other things associated with where they put the body, but no body. And John says, this is about far enough. And he didn't go in. There's no Peter. Impetuous Peter. Impulse Peter. Peter didn't hesitate. Peter ran directly into the tomb and he, and he looked around and, and, and lo and behold, there wasn't a body there. Jesus was missing. And, and the linen cloths in which he had been wrapped were right there where his body had left. There was a head cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And that head cloth was all in a place by itself. Neatly folded. You know what that told Peter? Wasn't any grave robber. They had everything but it scattered. Jesus apparently folded that. Before he departed from the tomb. 
because only then, after Peter had gone in, Peter was always the leader. John followed and went into the tomb himself. And we're told in verse 8, So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and he believed. But what did he see? And what did he believe? Well, he saw that the, that the body of Jesus was missing, that it was not there. And he believed that Jesus had really risen from the dead. Now, that was a hard thing for the disciples to get their heads around, wasn't it? Jesus had told them more than once. The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, be crucified, and, oh, by the way, what? Be raised up on the third day. Remember, that's when Peter took Jesus' side and said, I think you got it wrong. This will never happen to you. It was hard to get their minds around it. And that's what the text says in verse 9. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. But when they went into the tomb and they saw the body of Jesus missing, the grave claws lying there, then they did believe. Then they did begin to understand the reality, the truth of what Jesus had said. I think it's clear that John, Peter, first two disciples to believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Now again, this was the first step in Peter being restored to fellowship with Jesus. Peter was, you know, he was, again, one of the three that was closest to Jesus. He was a part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And if we were going to say there was one of those that really was the most eager to serve, it was Peter. Peter always had his hand up. I will. I'll go. I'll do it. Even sometimes without being asked. He was the one who jumped to the forefront, who spoke for the rest. He was the spokesman for the twelve. Peter had made some profound statements of faith about Jesus, hadn't he? You are the Christ, he said to Jesus. The Son of the living God. And again, he said, We know who you are. The Holy One of God. But the crucifixion had kind of caused some doubts to come into his mind. And, and Peter's own faith was shaken. His own commitment was questioned. He denied. Look, he didn't, again, he didn't just deny that Jesus was the Christ. He denied that he knew Jesus. And the fact of the resurrection was the first step and Peter understanding, you know, Jesus was exactly right what he said. He is exactly who he said he was. He is the Son of God. Well, what do we learn from Peter and his relationship to the resurrection and his encounter with the risen Christ? I think we see from, from Peter that the Christian faith hinges upon those two crucial facts. 
the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead for our justification. Again, that is what Peter was told by Jesus would happen. He would be crucified and he would rise again from the dead. And finally, after he and John were standing there in the empty tomb itself, Peter got it. Studying the book of Acts on Sunday nights, Gavin taken it, who was the lead person in founding of the church in the earliest days. There probably isn't a more radical transformation in the life of anyone in the gospel than the life of Peter. Who went from denying to a servant girl that even knew Jesus to standing up publicly on the day of Pentecost preaching boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why that transformation? was because Peter finally got and he understood those two crucial facts. The significance of Jesus' death on the cross out of his resurrection the rest. And we see that he got it in portions of the letter that he wrote. I want you, in conclusion, to return with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. These are, this is the letter that Peter himself wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but, little princess, you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And then over to chapter 2 and verse 24. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he said this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. And then chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Peter got it, didn't he? He got the significance of the crucifixion. It was by Jesus' death on the cross that we are given forgiveness of sins and the newness of life. But he also got the significance of the resurrection. Go back to chapter 1, and we read this in our call to worship earlier. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter got it. Peter got it. It was through the resurrection of of Christ from the dead, that you and I are born again to a living hope. That's why 
Paul says, look, if, if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. It's only through the power of Christ's resurrection, the fact that He lives, that you can know for certain that you live as well. Just as Jesus Christ was raised new life from His dead physical body, so you and I are raised to new life from our dead spiritual body. Says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But God made us alive together with Christ. The events we observe at Easter, the crucifixion and the resurrection, are at the very heart of the gospel. If you want to know that your sins are forgiven, if you want to be right with God, if you want to have no fear in death and be assured of eternal life, then you must place your faith and your trust as the Holy Spirit leads you to trust in His sacrificial death and his powerful resurrection from the dead. The testimony of a believer is this. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And this. There in the ground, his body lay light of the world by darkness light. then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory sin's curse has lost its grip on me you hear that sin's curse has lost grip why? For I am He is mine. Bought with the blood. Is that your testimony this morning? Because it's only the death and the resurrection of you give us confidence and assurance. Believe it, know it, and trust it. Give your life to today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We love it. And we love the Savior who is talked about in it, who is described for us in it. And we love the Savior this morning because he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose in victory from the grave to give us new life. May we rejoice in that today. May we find confidence, hope in it as well. And may we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll conclude our service this morning by singing, Thine is the glory. Let's stand and sing with great confidence and conviction.